Yeah, I had all kinds of reactions. Most of them were, are you crazy? Uh, <laughs> that, that would be probably the most common reaction I had. So you had to go through that. And then if you try to explain to everybody, then you're just going to go back. So you just have to, okay, accept it and say, yeah, maybe I'm crazy. But so what? <laughs> and, then, and then the other reaction that I was seeing from the, from the other doctors, from a lot of people was, I wish I could do the same. I'm just tired. Hey, this is Achim Novak, executive coach and host of the My Fourth Act podcast. If life is a five-act play, how will you spend your fourth act? I have conversations with exceptional humans who have created bold and unexpected fourth acts. Listen and be inspired. And please rate us and subscribe on whatever platform you are listening on. Let's get started. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Dr. Juan Jose Reyes to the My Fourth Act podcast. After heading a thriving pediatric practice for nearly 17 years, Juan took a radical departure in his life. He studied mindfulness, became a mindfulness teacher, and founded MindStay, an organization that delivers mindfulness-based programs to reduce stress and anxiety. Juan's passion for photography led him to launch the acclaimed Miami Street Photography Festival, the largest festival of its kind in the world, with an equally successful sister festival in Milan. And I'm especially excited to speak with Juan today because he's about to launch a new photography-related app called PhotoY uh, that makes photography and relationships with famous photographers more widely available to everyone in the entire world, which I think is ridiculously cool. So welcome, Juan. Hi, Akim. Thank you for the invitation. I'm very happy to be here. I'm happy that you're here. Again, in full disclosure, Juan and I know each other socially. I consider Juan a friend. And when we get to talk to mindfulness, I, this is the four-year anniversary of Juan and a bunch of us going on an excursion to Bhutan, which was an extraordinary experience around happiness and mindfulness. But I ask, I begin every conversation with what your dreams and aspirations might have been when you were a young boy. In your case, you're from Paraguay. Who did you think you wanted to be grow when you grew up? That's a great question. My father was a, a doctor, so I always mm -hmm. had that influence in my life. So I think it's very common. I always saw myself also as becoming a physician, a doctor and helping people. I remember seeing my dad helping people and diseases. So I thought that would, that would be a great path, a career path uh, for me. So yeah, I think that's what I thought when I was growing up that I was going to be. I knew another thing that I always wanted when I was growing up was to come to the United States. I always was just really, that was a dream of mine that I always wanted to come here. Even before deciding to be a doctor, I always mm. wanted to be. I was just fascinated by the. So that was another thing that uh, I was able to you know, accomplish. I've been here almost 35 years. Like you, I'm somebody who grew up in another country. I came to the States when I was 16. So I'm curious, what did coming to the United States represent for you when you were a boy in Paraguay? 
it represented a lot of things. My dad, like I said, had a very thriving practice. He was the pioneer of HMO in Paraguay. The mm-hmm. first HMO in the country was created by my, my dad. Mm-hmm. So he had a, this big uh, company. And I could have just simply stayed there. Yeah. And, but I, I wanted to come here. So coming here just represented more opportunities. And at the same time, it was very scary because I had to just come and you know start from zero. I could have just stay in the comfort of what I had at home. So coming here, it just represented a challenge, a dream coming true at the same time, more opportunities to do a lot of things. I remember when I first came, it was just like, oh my God, this is incredible. All the things that are here, you know, uh, Paraguay from uh, that time was a different country, but, um, but yeah, so it represented all those things, the challenges, uh, dreams, opportunities, more opportunities to do whatever you want. Yeah. I love the words you use, challenge, dream, opportunity. And I want to talk briefly about your pediatric life, but since then, you have sought new challenges, you have pursued new dreams, and you have created new opportunities, even though it yeah. may look very different from what you thought it might be when you first came to this country, right? Right, exactly. Because yeah. yes. a lot of our listeners are either in the midst of big transitions in their lives, or they would love to make a big transition, but are perhaps afraid. And you worked as a successful pediatrician in South Florida. You did very well, and then you decided to do something really different. Before we go to the different, if you think about your life in pediatrics, and if you because th- for everything, there are the moments where you go, gosh, this is why I loved doing this. This was great. And then there are usually the moments where, why the hell am I doing this? This, <laughs> this doesn't feel good. Can you give us a snapshot of both? During the time in pediatrics? Yes. Yes, please. Yeah, I think the times that I felt like, oh, this is why I'm doing this, was more towards, I would say, during the, the beginning part of the career. And that's only because it was a different time for medicine. Mm-hmm. It has changed how we practice especially pediatrics. At the beginning, the pediatricians were very involved. I remember when I first started, I would remember going to, to the hospital to, to do deliveries, mm-hmm. to get the, you know, when the baby was born, they hand it to you. And if the baby's not breathing, you got to do something right there. Yeah. And, in, and when you do that, you feel like really powerful to be able to help a baby. But as with time, the, that uh, was taken away. So pediat- the pediatric practice changed to a different, more general practice just at the office, not going to the hospital. So it became, I would say, a little more routinary. And I think that transition, I guess, it kind of influenced me and kind of like, okay, I need uh, new challenges. I need something. uh, I want to do something different. But yeah, I remember that was the best part. At the time, I didn't think it was the best part because it was like, oh my God, three in the morning, you have to Mm -hmm. get up and go. And I remember when I was, I worked up north in a small town in West Virginia for two years as the only pediatrician in town. And they were calling me at three in the morning to come and, you know, they have, we have this premature baby and you have to go and, you know, and do everything for the baby until the helicopter from the next city came to take the baby. So uh, at that time, it was scary. It was like a lot of pressure, but looking back, I see that challenge was really, really 
make you feel alive. But so what happened that got you to the place where you said, I'm done with this? I want to add the context, especially when you have a profession that is highly regarded. Yes. I mean, you're helping children. You're right. a doctor. I'm assuming you were reasonably well compensated. So there's a lot of stuff attached to having a very noble profession and leaving that can be hard. So what got you to that point? I think it just became, and the word that comes up is routinary for me. Mm -hmm. So it, even though you're still doing the same thing and still helping and being able to help a new mom or do something for, for a baby or for somebody who's sick, at one point, it just became very routinary. It became something kind of the same thing every day. Mm -hmm. So I could still have gone, uh, continued to that. But it came to a point that I was looking at the rest of my life and I said, this is it. I'm going to keep doing this <laughs> the rest of my life. And, I was, and that feeling was not <clears throat> a good feeling, I would say, at that time. What drew you to mindfulness? Because I have a feeling they're somehow connected because when we leave one thing, we kind of think about where we're going to go, right? Can you talk to us what drew you to mindfulness, studying mindfulness, choosing to move into that as something that you do professionally? Yeah. During the... I always had problems with anxiety, you know, since growing up. Coming here was also very yeah. stressful. So it was a time, I think it was around 2006 or so, that uh, I was just going through a period of a lot of anxiety. Maybe it was because I wanted to do something else. Maybe because I couldn't, uh, you know, I saw myself, am I going to change what I'm doing? You know, it was a lot of stuff going on. And then a lot of the pressures of being a physician. There's a lot of pressure involved in that. And, you know, so I really wanted to uh, find something that could help me with that. And I knew there were, you know, you, you know, I've seen psychologists, there were, you know, there were medications available, but I didn't want to really go that route. So that's how I started looking into meditation. I remember I read a book by um, Keith Ferrazzi mm -hmm. uh, called Never Eat Alone. I think we talked. I, I know that book very well. Yes. Yeah. And in that book, he mentioned that he took a, a 10 day meditation retreat called vipassana yeah and and i was like what what is that and i looked it up and it was it seemed like a enormous challenge a 10-day mm -hmm. silent meditation retreat so and i said oh, this is so this looks so hard but uh, it's it's uh so that's how i started uh, that's how i learned meditation and that's why i and then it made a big difference in the anxiety mm -hmm. which is the reason why i kept practicing for my, so I started mindfulness for myself to control, manage the anxiety, manage the stress of, the, the, of life. And because it was so useful to me, then that's why I decided later on to, to teach and to become trained in, to teach mindfulness meditation. When we make a big change in our lives, like leave a profession or at least full-time in a practice, it can push a lot of buttons and a lot of people. So I'm very curious. You're married. You have a daughter. Your family is used to you being Juan Jose Reyes, the pediatrician. And you know all sorts of other doctors or pediatricians. How did people react when 
when you made what for many people is a radical life change? Yeah, I had all kinds of reactions. Most of them were, are you crazy? Uh, <laughs> that, that would be probably the most common reaction I had. So you had to go through that. And then if you try to explain to everybody, then you're just going to go back. So you just have to, okay, accept it and say, yeah, maybe I'm crazy. But it's, so what? <laughs> and, then, and then the other reaction that I was seeing from the, from the other doctors, from a lot of people was, I wish I could do the same. I'm just tired. And yeah. I heard it from friends that were lawyers, that were doctors. They said, I, I really want to do the same because I'm tired of the way we practice medicine with all the pressures of the insurance companies and the legal stuff. Also, I think of you and me both as, at this point, serial entrepreneurs. We started a bunch of things. And I know when you're a doctor, it's, it's a business as well, but it's, you can more easily expect a flow of clients when you're a doctor and you have a doctor's right. office, right? And, and many people may be listening to us and thinking, well, I've had a dream like Juan has this dream. I have this, this thing that I'd like to start, but God, I, what kind of advice would you have about suddenly becoming an entrepreneur? You studied mindfulness, you became a mindfulness teacher, you're trained in this but you're really stepping into an unknown world in many ways. What was that like? Yeah. I think the main challenge for me, even till this day, is that when I was practicing medicine, you know, you, like you said, I had the structured day. Mm -hmm. I knew exactly how much day was going to go. I knew I was going to see a lot of patients. I had all these clients and, let's say, or customers, let's say, just right. to compare with the, the entrepreneurs. I had all these patients already coming in, mm -hmm. right? So I had that flow. So when you leave that and when you go to become an entrepreneur or do other things, you lose that. And yeah. then you completely go into an unstructured day. Mm -hmm. Basically, like a, you have to structure it the way you want it. Mm -hmm. And that was a challenge for me because for 17, almost 20 years, actually, of just having the day structured and laid out for me and the week and the month going to like, okay. So sometimes for me, it was hard to find that discipline to just, okay, structure my day and be productive. And then that was another thing. What does being productive mean? Mm -hmm. So that was another thing that I had to overcome because I think we, there is a big misconception that if you are just active, and moving and doing things, then you're being productive. And in re the reality is not that. Um, so I had to overcome that. And there were days there wasn't a lot of to do for whatever reason. And then learning to not feeling guilty about that mm -hmm. and maybe using that downtime for self-care, you know, and do things for myself and not feel guilty about it because you got to be proactive. You got to be working. You got to be doing mm -hmm. things. That's the pressure that we all have. And I think that's one of the things that I had to overcome. What else did you learn about yourself? Unstructured time. You gave us a glimpse already. But I feel like in many ways, there are two ways to look at it. Either we become a different person or we bring out things that were always there that we didn't have to use before. But suddenly... We have to stretch different muscles, so to speak. So what did you discover about Juan when your pediatric structure was gone and you jumped into 
I think every day being a new creation. Yeah, I think what I discovered was that if there's no structure or if there's something there that uh, doesn't suit you, then I could create that. And yeah. I had to believe in myself that I could create something that didn't exist before. Mm-hmm. And, and one example of that would be the, uh, the festival, the photography festival that you mentioned about, even though it was at the time I looked everywhere and there were no photo- street photography festivals in the world. And I said, well, maybe I, I could create one. And then I was like, how can I create? You know, <laughs> and how can that be? Yeah. But I always say to myself all the time, if I don't do it, somebody else will do it. Yeah. So I might as well be me and do it the way I want. So I think I learned that about myself, that is, if there is not what I want out there or what I'm looking, mm-hmm. then I could create it and then see where it goes, you know. And uh, I think that's, uh, that's what I learned about myself. And I'm still doing it. Same thing with the app that I'm launching now. It doesn't exist. And I said, well, maybe I should create it. So let's dip a little bit into photography and maybe a good starting point could be, I've been to several of the street photography festival events in, in Miami. What you have created is spectacular and it's, it exists on a large scale. And for our listeners, it brings in really famous photographers who show up for the street photography festival. So this is not a, this is a pretty big thing that, that you want have created, can you just define for us what street photography is? Because I think of taking a selfie with my iPhone, and that's probably what a lot of our listeners think about. Like I go to Hollywood Beach, which you photograph a lot, and I snap away. But what's what makes something, a, a photograph that's worth remembering, that street photography versus just a, a bad iPhone snapshot? Could you just yes. define that for us? Sure, yeah. I think in general terms, street photography is just taking candid photographs, meaning not pose, not stage, candid moments in public spaces. So we call it street photography, but it could be the beach. It could be uh, a country. It could be uh, a, a museum, you know, a, a, public, a public space. So that's what street photography is. It's just looking for those candid moments in everyday life in public spaces. And I always make that comparison with mindfulness because street photography is just going out on the street right here mm-hmm. in my neighborhood and paying attention yeah. to what's happening this moment. And if we pay attention, there are things happening that you photograph. There are moments, little moments that yeah. you could photograph. But if you're just going through the street or the beach or whatever, and you don't pay attention, then you don't find those moments. Yeah. So street photography is about paying attention to those trivial, ordinary moments that are happening all the time and making an image from that. So did your interest in mindfulness lead you to street photography? Are they connected at all? Or how did you become interested in this? In street photography? Yeah. Yeah, I think when I started, probably not, but I knew that the connection was there later on when I was trying to get better at it. I got started in street photography. I, I took a couple of workshops with, uh, uh, the first one was uh, Jay Maisel, a photographer yeah. in New York, mm-hmm. that I consider one of my mentors. 
fantastic photographer, great teacher, great mentor. And before I wasn't taking pictures of people because in street photography, 90% of it is, is people on the public space. It could be some without people, but with reference to people in the photo. But I wasn't taking pictures of people. And, and when I took that workshop, it was about connecting with people. Mm-hmm. It was about not just taking snapshots of people. He always said, when you take a picture of somebody, you have the absolute duty of make, to make them look good. Yeah. Or at least not make them look bad. So if you can connect with people, then you do. And in a way, it's a way of connecting with people or connecting with life in a way. So that's why I became more interested in that type of photography because it's about people and life and paying attention and connecting with them. A word from your sponsor. That's me. I invite you to go to the website associated with this podcast, www.myfourthact.com. You will find other equally inspiring conversation with great humans. And you will also learn more about the My Fourth Act mastermind groups where cool people figure out how to chart their own fourth acts. Please check it out. And now back to the conversation. I'm struck by the fact that you chose to study with Jay Mizell, a very, very well-known, revered photographer. And in my own life, in the 1990s, when I decided that I wanted to write, I studied with some very famous writers in New York. And there's something beautiful about saying that there are really established people who I admire, and I can learn from them and choosing to learn from them. And I know you've been surrounded by and you have the privilege of connecting through your work with really fantastic photographers. Can you talk a little bit about just learning from established people in your field and and how that has enriched you and what you're doing? Yeah, I think it was a great privilege to have all these really, really world-class photographers coming to my event during all these years and meeting them and learning from them and sharing, you know, and sometimes you have photographers that people don't like or people have this conception about them. And, and I sat with them to have breakfast and to have lunch and talking about anything else other than photography. And then you mm-hmm. get to know them. And then you, you, their photography completely changes. The view of their photography changes because of that. I learned, yeah, I learned definitely how to be a better photographer. You know, I remember when I went with a photographer called Bruce Gilden, also famous in New York, famous as a legend in street photography. He wanted to go to Overtown under Mm -hmm. the I-95 overpass to where Mm -hmm. the dangerous area. And he took me with him because he wanted somebody to translate. And he would just, he wanted that photograph and he would just go through that dangerous area. And I was not ready to go to do that. But what I learned from that experience was that, and he told me, uh, when you really want a photograph, then you don't, when you're really in love with a photograph that you have in your mind that you want to take, then that replaces fear. And what I learned from that experience was that the opposite of, of fear is not courage because they both can coexist. Mm-hmm. The opposite of fear is actually love because those are two emotions that cannot coexist. 
So if you really love something, then fear is completely aside. So I felt fear that day <laughs> over town. So I can tell you, but I, and I don't know if I would go that, but um, you know, the, the lesson is like, if you have a vision in your mind, the photograph or whatever it is, if you love it, then fear kind of steps aside a little bit. I just want to add for our listeners who don't know Miami, my uh, Overtown is a neighborhood in Miami that uh, has a beautiful long history, but then was really in some ways destroyed when they ran a public highway through it. And public works really did a lot of damage to a very historic part of Miami, which is a great city that both you and I like a lot. I, I want to talk a little more about just because I think it's a dream of so many people and you're doing it. You've created this big festival. It's recognized. Then you have an offshoot in Milan, Italy, sexy fashion city that's also really successful. I know this involves, you know, creating partnerships, getting funders. You know, it looks glamorous on the surface, but there's so much work behind the scenes to create a big event that brings a lot of people together. Can you describe to us just what it takes to pull off a big event like that and and what you've learned about pulling off great festivals like these? Yes, it's definitely very difficult. It's a lot of work what people don't see. So, and it takes a whole year of planning for the event to be successful, but it really comes down to what you said. It's just creating partnerships. When I started looking for, at the beginning, at the very beginning, I was started looking for sponsors. And, and then I realized that sponsors is not the right term uh, because that involves a simply financial agreement. Mm. So what I really wanted was partners, people who really believe in the event and they will put money. Sure, that was important. But they also believe in the event and they would do anything to make it successful in a long-term relationship. So I always said, you know, it, it, this is long-term and I will give up a lot of things just to make sure that it's a long-term. That was important for me. Same thing happened with Milan. Milan it was about partnerships and friendships with a great group of people that I became my friends and that I really love now. And that's why Milan was so successful because of the uh, partnerships and the friendships that I developed. And I never, never signed a contract with anybody. It was always okay, let's do this and shake hands. And say, I always work like that. Maybe it wasn't the best way, but I always work like that because it was just a matter of trust. And I will just look at long-term uh, relationships with people that I want to. There's so much wonderful wisdom in what you just said. And I, uh, again, I want to just, for my own life, you know, I serve clients in very big global corporations, but, and obviously I'm there to do a service, but Many of them become long-time, long-term friends, you know, and relationships are not in these little boxes. And life is so much richer when, when we hold that possibility, which you described so beautifully, and a vision for a long-term. So you are launching Photo Y, which is in many ways an extension of the street photography festivals, the relationships you have with great photographers, and it's... I'm just learning about it, but I see it as this incredible global background opportunity playground where, where people who maybe can't come to Milan, they cannot come to Miami to the festival, 
but want to learn more about street photography and get some some coaching and feedback from brilliant photographers can do that. I think it's amazing. Can you just talk about that a little bit? Sure. Yeah, I would love to. It's a great new platform that I've created. I've been thinking about it for a couple of years, and this year was the perfect time to actually bring it into life. But um, this platform is actually not just limited to street photography. I wanted to create something mm -hmm. that included all genres of photography. So, you know, we're going to have uh, landscape photographers and portraits and underwater photography, uh, architecture, wow. everything. Because I wanted to. And the reason why I created this is because I've been working with people taking workshops for the last 10 years. So people want to learn. People want feedback on their photos. People want, uh, that's why they go to a workshop. They take photos, they bring it over there, and then they want the, the expert to tell them, okay, this is not good. This is, this is great. This, is, this doesn't work. This is what I learned with Jay uh, when mm -hmm. I took his workshop. He'll tell, he'll tell me directly, oh, this, is, this sucks. Mm -hmm. You know, you need somebody to tell you that sometimes. And that was a great feedback for me. So, and we don't have that in the current photography apps, definitely not on Instagram, which, which is created in a culture of just likes and comments that are just algorithm-based and people just manipulate that. So it's, there's no really good feedback on a photo and it's uh, just getting a lot of likes doesn't mean that the photo is good. So I wanted to create something different and this is what PhotoY is. People can post photos and expert photographers in their genres tell them why this is a good uh, a photo or why this is not a good photo. What could be improved? They give it a rating from one to five. And they tell them why they gave him that rating. I gave it a two because of this, because of that. So that's, that's what we call it photo-wise. So if you know the why of a photo, then you can learn to take better photos. Uh, that's how, uh, so that's what the, the platform is really about. And it's going to be, there are going to be different, many ways to learn in the platform because we're going to have, besides the experts, rating and, and telling you the why of photos that people upload, we're going to have daily live streams. So we're going to have all the photographers in the platform just give free classes, free talks about photography all the time. So at any time, and, and this is all going to be all for free. You can use the app, download and use the app for free. And then you can also buy personal lessons with those famous photographers. Mm -hmm. uh, instead of taking a full workshop, which now is difficult to do because it costs money or because people have to travel. Now they can take just personalized lessons and buy just one or two lessons at a time with this and have access to all these world-class photographers that we're going to have in the platform. So yeah, it's, I'm very excited about it. I, I have a lot of photographers already joining the platform. We're testing when the final weeks of testing and it's scheduled to be released probably by the end of the month yes two thoughts i had is you said this already before is something in you has an idea nobody else is doing and some doing and somehow you are ready to jump in and make it happen which not everybody can do so i just want to say that i really admire that about you i thought it was a second thought i don't remember what it was but it, it if you had to, talk, to describe the, the deepest satisfaction for you of launching something big 
Because again, like the festival, I hear there's a lot of work behind the scenes that had to happen to launch to launch this platform. What's the deepest satisfaction for you in launching this? I think, to me, even when I was doing the, the festival, uh, it's just the the fact that I created when I was doing the festival. The fact that I created an environment where people can learn to be better in art, or at the same time, create something where they can show their art. To me, that was very rewarding. So the fact that I there are lots of people and groups of people that are learning to be better at an artistic form with something that I've created is very rewarding to me. And I remember one experience when we had the festival in, in Miami. We have this, and you've seen it, this outdoor exhibition yeah. with really, mm -hmm. really big prints, two, mm -hmm. three feet by three feet prints, outdoor, beautiful. And I go out there one time and I was just walking around and I see a guy there looking at one of the pictures and it comes to me and says, are you Juan? And I said, yeah. And he tells me, this is my picture. And he was like about to cry and say, I cannot believe that one of my pictures is in this exhibition and mm -hmm. in this format. And he was so grateful and so happy that his art was being exhibited like that. That was such a rewarding uh, mm -hmm. thing for me that I was able to create something that would make him feel that way. I think that was uh, very rewarding. And I think with the app, the same thing. I think it's just about making it easier for people to get better at something. Yeah. Yeah. If you were to describe your, I want to say your average day, but obviously there is no average day in how you live right now. So I understand that. But if you take a snapshot of a day in the life in Juan now versus a day in the life of Juan when he was um, a part of a formal pediatric office, how do those days feel different from each other? Very different. Very different. I start very early because for the last six months, I've been developing this, working with developers and they're offshore. So I have to get up really early <laughs> because of the time difference and have meetings at like 6.30 in the morning uh, or at midnight. So, so it's very different. But I always, what I really like right now is that in the afternoon, I always make a point of going to the beach for a little bit. I know I have mm -hmm. that advantage. We have that advantage yeah. in here. So I don't want to admit that. So I try to make a point of going to the beach either to walk or ride a bike or take photos. Mm -hmm. And again, the challenge sometimes is not feel guilty about it because it's like the middle of afternoon mm -hmm. on, a, on a Tuesday and I'm at the beach and it's like, should I feel guilty about this? <laughs> so, but I think at the end of the day is what you have accomplished that day yeah. and what you, what you can offer that day work. Sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less. It's just the way it is when we are doing our own thing. So I think it's different that I can structure. And then if somebody calls me and says, hey, you want to go grab lunch? You want to go do things? I have the ability to do that. That is just such a great thing. Because before, you can't. You can't have lunch with anybody during the week. You can go you know, do a lot of things during the afternoon. So if somebody calls me, hey, you want to go ride a bike? Uh, you know, then I, I just, I can go and then continue later. I work at night. I work at, you know, whenever. But um. So, um, yeah, 
Uh, that's that. I would say that's the answer. Based on what you know now and, and what you've learned in your journey in life through multiple also entrepreneurial adventures, which are continuing with Photo Y, and if you had a chance to whisper some wisdom and guidance into the ears of young Juan in Paraguay, not to change <laughs> him, but what would you want him to know to maybe reassure him or guide him or comfort him based on what you know now? I would say, um, yeah, just, you know, you can do this. Just trust yourself and keep going. Uh, that's what I would say. And when you find the difficulties, I think it's important to know that there will be difficulties. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be easy. I think that's something that uh, when we find a lot of trouble and problems that, okay, this is not working. And it's like, you have to go through that. You, you can't skip mm -hmm. the middle. I forgot yeah. who said that, but uh, you can't skip the middle. And the middle is messy, it's hard, it's, it's terrifying. It's, so just go through the middle and you'll be fine. That's a wonderful quote to, to end on. Where would you like to direct our listeners who are more curious about the many different things you do, like websites or social media yeah. platforms? Where should we I find would, you? I would definitely, I would love for people to check out photowhy.com. And uh, right now it's a, it's a teaser page because we don't want to do the full website until launch. But you can subscribe there so we can tell you when the app is going to be launched. I think. Can you spell photo Y for it's Y W H Y? Or? Yes, it's P H O T O W H Y. Great. Photowide.com. Yeah, I think that would be the, the website to go. If they want to check out the Miami Street Photography Festival, they can just Google Miami Street Photography Festival uh, or go to Miami Street Photography Festival.org. I'm also on Instagram. They can find me there. But um, I think I would love for everybody to check out the app coming up. Sounds great. So on that note, thank you so much for just really giving us a glimpse into your evolution and I would say continuing adventures in life. That was just a pleasure to listen to you. Thank you, Ahim, for the invitation. This was great. I really appreciate it. Bye-bye. Thank you. Like what you heard? Please go to myfourthact.com and subscribe to receive my updates on upcoming episodes. Please also subscribe to us on the platform of your choice. Rate us, give us a review, and let us all create some magical fourth acts together. Ciao.